0: Listener-supported. WNYC Studios.
1: From WNYC Studios, I'm Brian Lehrer. This is my Daily Politics Podcast. It's Tuesday, December 12th. Now an update on conditions in Gaza and the U.S. and U.N. politics of balancing Israel's legitimate war aims and protecting civilians. The U.N. has another version of a ceasefire resolution in front of it today after the U.S. vetoed one last Friday. The Biden administration is still pushing Congress for more funding for Israel's war effort, but also now bypassing Congress for what Biden considers an emergency sale of ammunition and other supplies. And they're doing those things even as Secretary of State Antony Blinken, representing the U.S., of course, went on CNN on Sunday to highlight the gap between what Israel says it intends to do and the actual results on protecting civilians in Gaza from the fighting and allowing humanitarian relief to get in. Here's Blinken.
0: But now what's critical is this. Um, Even as Israel has taken additional steps, for example, to designate safe areas in in the south, uh, to focus on neighborhoods, not entire cities in terms of evacuating them, what we're not seeing sufficiently is a couple of things. One, making sure that the humanitarian oper- uh, operators who are there, starting with the United Nations, performing heroically that there are deconfliction times, places, and routes so that the humanitarians can bring the assistance that's getting into Gaza to the people who need it. Similarly, we need to see the same kind of deconfliction, uh, time, uh, pauses, uh, designated routes, plural, not, not, not just one, uh, and, uh, and clarity of communication so that people know when it is safe and where it is safe to move to get out of harm's way before they go back home. These are the kinds of things we're working on every single day, again, to make sure that that gap between intent and result is as narrow as possible.
1: The gap between intent and result, Secretary of State Blinken, On CNN's State of the Union program Sunday morning. And what are the results in recent days? Well, here are some headlines. New York Times Gaza civilians under Israeli barrage are being killed at historic pace. That's the headline. The article cites experts who say even a conservative reading of the casualty figures shows that the pace of death during Israel's campaign has few precedents in this century. For example, more than even the deadliest moments of the U.S. led attacks in Iraq, Syria, and Afghanistan. Afghanistan, says the New York Times. Washington Post, Gaza health system is on its knees. On its knees is a quote from the World Health Organization. The Post says that Israel has announced that starting today, the Karem Shalom crossing from Israel into Gaza would be opened to increase the volume of aid amid those health system collapse warnings. Also Washington Post, Israel claims progress against Hamas as humanitarian crisis worsens. IDF officials said Hamas was beginning to buckle under the onslaught. Recent leaked videos of captured Gazans stripped to their underwear, in some cases blindfolded and with hands bound, recited as evidence in Israel that the group's fighters had begun to surrender. Gazans, however, described seeing family members and children among the detainees who had no connection to Hamas. The attacks have forced tens of thousands of displaced civilians into overwhelmed pockets near the Egyptian border from the Washington Post. And on some of the individuals being killed, CNN, prominent Gaza professor and writer killed in airstrikes. Uh, airstrike weeks after telling CNN he and his family had nowhere else to go. Rafat al was famed for his role in chronicling Gazan experiences. He was instrumental in nurturing young Palestinian writers and helped them tell their stories in English, according to friends and colleagues says CNN. The group Frontline Defenders tweets, we are saddened by the news that disability rights defender Baramoshla was killed by an Israeli airstrike on 7 December. He leaves a legacy of courage and dedication. His commitment to raising awareness about the barriers faced by individuals with disabilities, particularly those with visual impairments, was unwavering. Politico reports, half of Gaza's population is also starving the deputy director of the U.N. World Food Program, Carl Scow, citing Scow on the BBC. And one more from the Washington Post. Israel is detaining civilians in Gaza. Many have disappeared, families say. With us now, Miriam Berger, covering U.S. foreign affairs and the Middle East for the Washington Post. She contributed to those Post articles I've been citing. Miriam, thank you for some time today. Welcome to WNYC. Thank
2: you for having me.
1: Can you start with the state of the Gaza medical system? What is the World Health Organization describing as on its knees or near collapse?
2: So as you described, the humanitarian situation right now facing uh, Gazans from the north to the south uh, is just really horrific. Uh, So basically, people cannot access basic medical needs, get alone treat uh, the complex wounds that have happened as a result of the war, uh, as well as any pre-existing um, illnesses that they had, which have now, you know, likely very much worsened. Uh, and as you also pointed out, you know, the um, the rates of starvation are, are rising really high, putting people, you know, already then at a greater risk for contracting diseases that you that, you know, in theory could be quite easy to treat if people had medicine and weren't in highly congested spaces with bad sanitation. Uh, so it's just a it's a recipe for disaster. And, you know, uh, Hospitals have become, um, you know, part of the of, of this war. And uh, rights groups, um, you know, have accused Israel of targeting hospitals. Uh, Israel has said, you know, has accused Hamas of using them. Um, you know, they have not uh, provided uh, the evidence that uh, supports all of their claims. And so basically people can't access uh, hospitals right now, um, met basic medical care, and aid can't get to them. Uh, there's no fuel. There's no uh, basically food, no water. So, you know, it's it's a hospital system that that can't work.
1: And that scary statement from the head of the U.N. World Food Program that half the population of Gaza is starving, I got that from a Politico article, not from your Washington Post reporting, but do you know what he's referring to about the food situation?
2: Uh, So, yes, so, you know, we've spoken to people about that same issue uh, where just even accessing, uh, you know, a can of, like, tuna, basically is extremely hard the price of flour has skyrocketed uh, anything that is uh, you know on the shelves if there is anything is really really expensive uh, and a lot of the border zones in the north of uh, the buffer zones in the north of, of Gaza are also agricultural zones you know those are the places uh, where people will be right now um, you know, going to pick fruits and vegetables that would help sustain them through the season. Uh, Those areas are destroyed, making it even harder in the months to come to even uh, have, you know, any chance of sort of Gazans helping to sustain themselves. Gaza, you know, pre-war was already highly dependent on international aid. Now it's basically completely, uh, but there's so little aid coming in that that isn't able to meet the needs of people. And the aid that comes in is highly restricted in where it can go due to ongoing Israeli bombardments uh, and, um, access issues.
1: Your story on Israel detaining civilians and families saying their loved ones have disappeared. The implication is they're not just detaining known Hamas members, but we know there's propaganda on all sides. Can you say with any accuracy how many people might fall into that category and why?
2: So we don't have any numbers. Um, you know, as I reported that, uh, of the overall number of people, of civilians who have been detained, those detained without charges. It's a very murky, complicated situation right now. Um, But, you know, we uh, have talked to lots of people who describe very similar instances in which their relatives or themselves, uh, you know, were detained for hours or for what's now been weeks. Uh, There have been some women from Gaza who have um, uh, been seen now in the Israeli prison system. Um, the uh, Palestinian Prisoner Society says they you know, have about 136, um, but that number uh, likely does not include, you know, as many people. Given the number, you know, given the stories that we are hearing, and and they are hard to, uh, you know, verify right now. The situation there is very complicated and hard to, um, you know, hard to figure out what's happening sometimes. But what we do is we talk to a lot of people and we hear the same stories very frequently.
1: On the military's goals, your article, Israel Claims Progress Against Hamas as Humanitarian Crisis Worsens. What's the progress the Israeli military is reporting?
2: So they have you know, made grounds in terms of just capturing um, uh, more you know, land itself. Um, they've pushed deeper into, uh, into Han Yunis. Uh, which is one of the areas of the south that previously Gazans had been told to go to for their uh, safety, uh, and now they're being uh, told to leave or are caught in the battles. Uh, so there's those areas. Um, you know, and Israel has also, um, as you had mentioned in the introduction, uh, said that these um, these um, pictures, images, films, which are technically unofficial, uh, show the um, you know show what they say are Hamas uh, uh, fighters uh, surrendering. Um, As you also noted, you know, family and friends of people that who have been pictured said that that, um, you know, have questioned that and said that's not the case for their family. Uh, And so those are some of the signs that they're showing. Um, And uh, at the same time, you know, Israel is saying that this is going to be a very, very long fight. Uh, And so, you know, they're both saying, signaling that they're, you know, what they say are successes, but also that this isn't ending soon.
1: Is there any indication from Washington Post reporting that Gazan's blame? Hamas for any of this, for embedding with civilians to the extent that they have over the many years, and for staging the horrific October 7th attacks, bringing this upon them?
2: So, you know, that's an, uh, an important and interesting question, and one we're, we're not really quite uh, able to answer right now, um, at least on my end, in part because we just can't uh, talk to as many people about um, You know about these situations uh you know people are very focused right now on surviving um and that's really you know the focus but you know what i can say is that we have heard increasing criticism and that even before the war you know uh just you know um Gaza was very highly restricted. Um, you know there was very little freedom of expression. Uh, you know Hamas was quite repressive, and you would already hear uh, criticism. You know of the government, uh, but right now, you know what we do hear is we hear frustrations. Uh, you know just across the board. You know obviously with the Israeli war, uh, as well with uh, you know Arab governments who aren't seen as doing a mu- you know as much. Uh, people will tell us that, um, as I said, that's what people would tell us, as well as frustration with the UN agency, um, UNRWA, for you know the fact that it. Um, has such issues with distribution, uh, and, and also Gazans will, or, you know, um, and Palestinians more generally will often also, uh, you know, be quite critical of the United States. So, um, you know, those are the, the sort of various degrees of, of criticisms that we are hearing right now.
1: The UN ceasefire resolution on Friday in the Security Council, which the United States vetoed, what was the language in there that caused the US to veto?
2: Um, so the the United States, um, you know, uh, wanted it to be directly addressing the October seventh attack as well, uh, uh, which was not included, and so that uh, ended up uh, being vetoed. Uh, and um, you know, there's another uh, resolution today, though it's a non-binding one in a, on a different body.
1: Uh, uh, is that the um, the General Assembly? Uh, rather than the Security Council. So that's going to be almost all the countries of the world are going to be voting on that resolution. Uh, But that's just sort of a sense of the nation's resolution. What the Security Council does is more, as you say, binding, right? Uh,
2: Yes, exactly. Uh, You know, that one would have, uh, you know, uh, would have the weight uh, when it comes to, uh, you know, uh, calling for a ceasefire.
1: The U.S. was the only no vote in the Security Council on the Friday resolution?
2: Uh, you know, I would have to double-check that fact. I don't want to speak um, out of term. Uh, I know that uh, the U.K. abstained, um, but uh, I do know that the U.S. vetoed.
1: And Congress has a big Israel aid package in front of it. It's stuck right now because of U.S. politics over our own southern border. But let me cl- play a clip of Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders Um who seems to be one of the only voices in the Senate who wants to place conditions on that next tranche of aid to Israel. Here's Sanders. We're talking about 16,000 Palestinians dead, 70% of whom are women and children. You're talking about 1.9 million people displaced from their homes. Half of the buildings, the housing units in Gaza have either been destroyed or damaged, Bottom line is, yes, Israel has a right to defend itself against Hamas terrorism, but the type of military strategy they're using now is inhumane. It's in violation of international law. We should not give a blank check to Netanyahu to continue that policy. Bernie Sanders on NPR last week. Does the Israeli government say it needs more U.S. aid in order to successfully destroy Hamas, which is its goal?
2: Um, You know, specifically in terms of, uh, you know, the military needs that Israel, Israel's military needs, I'm not as familiar, but I I would say that in terms of uh, the support from the U.S., it's very critical, um, you know, both for the Israeli government and for the Israeli uh, Israeli public, Uh, you know, especially as there is increasing international criticism, um, you know, around the heavy civilian death toll in the war. Uh, The U.S. support here is, um, you know, definitely um, amongst Israelis, uh, very much appreciated, um, you know, as seen as something that they can continue to expect.
1: Miriam Berger covers U.S. foreign policy on the Middle East, especially for The Washington Post. Thank you very much for giving us some time today.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: Now we'll hear more about the humanitarian situation from Deep Mala Mala, Global Humanitarian Director for the relief organization CARE. With a Ph.D. in women's reproductive health, her bio page on CARE's website says, Dr. Mala has worked for two decades designing and implementing humanitarian and development programs in some of the most complex and fragile environments, ranging from the Middle East to Africa to Asia. She joins us today from Nairobi, Kenya. Dr. Mala, thank you for coming on WNYC with us. Hello from New York.
3: Good morning and greetings to you.
1: Can you start with the big picture of CARE's presence in Gaza over time before the current war?
3: Well, CARE had been working in uh, West Bank, Gaza for several decades. And with most of our uh, staff, CARE staff, who were uh, from the area and our programs, in, we're on a range of topics including livelihoods, economic empowerment for women, uh, hygiene, community resilience but as of now as you can imagine the situation is very very different and uh, all our development programs in Gaza at the, at the moment are on hold due to serious concerns of security for our staff as well as pretty much I would say lack of humanitarian access.
1: What kind of presence does CARE have on the ground in Gaza right now?
3: In Gaza, we work with local partners, so CARE has a few staff who are CARE staff, and then we have several local partner members. So that is the model in which CARE works. We have some of our staff, and then we have partners for local organizations. So we are trying hard to keep in touch with our teams, which includes CARE staff and partner organizations. And as you can imagine, this has not always been smooth and easy.
1: Care provides food relief, among other things. We heard about the UN Food Program Chief saying half the people of Gaza are starving. Can you tell us what care workers are seeing or doing in this respect?
3: I would say half of them starving, to say the least. To say the least. What care people are seeing is... Many of us are experienced humanitarians I must say we've spent decades doing this but this is something which we have never ever seen anything to this scale and this level of misery and it seems very dark the what our people are seeing even when we talk to our colleagues on the ground you can hear kids crying in the background because they've been thirsty uh, there is no food it's so common to hear that people are either eat, eating alternate days or they are you know cutting their food intake to make sure that at least uh, the children have some we are hearing from our colleagues on the ground that People are consuming dirty water and wherever they can find some clean water, they are really preserving it, in their words, preserving it like gold so that they can at least mix it to prepare baby food or keep it, for instance. And people have been displaced or forced to flee multiple, multiple times. And whatever little relief which is trickling, there are very long queues, and it is grossly insufficient from what is needed. Sanitation conditions are also very, very serious at this point, and we are very concerned. I personally worry that that situation, if it continues this way, that moment is not far when we will be hearing about children and people dying because of nutrition or starvation-related diseases.
1: Since you at CARE International as a relief organization are calling for a ceasefire, there was one UN resolution to that effect on Friday vetoed by the United States. There's another one in the General Assembly coming up today. um, Do you address both sides when you say that? Supporters of Israel would say, don't just call on Israel to stop the fighting when Hamas is um, planning, threatening, promising to stage more October 7ths in Israel, uh, also tell Hamas, surrender, or, as I see CARE has done, release the hostages unconditionally. So how would you put that? How would you characterize CARE's position uh, in those respects?
3: CARE's position is defined very strongly by the humanitarian principle of neutrality and independence. The atrocities committed by Hamas were unconscionable and depraved. And taking and holding of hostages is abhorrent. The call for their release, immediate release, unconditional release is urgent and justified and we support it, care supports it. But the right to self-defense does not and must not require unleashing of this humanitarian collective punishment on millions and millions of civilians. It is not a path to accountability, nor is it to healing or nor is it to peace. Even wars have rules. I care works in so many conflict zones. I know so much humanitarian aid in war zones. I cannot think of any other situation where civilians have been so trapped. So we think that the U.S. government must stop its diplomatic interference at the United Nations and blocking calls for a ceasefire. And we call upon the U.S. government, act now and fight for humanity.
1: Deepmala Mala, Global Humanitarian Director for the relief organization CARE International. She joined us from Nairobi. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it.